Chapter Thirty Nine of the Netherworld. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Netherworld by George Robert Gissing, Chapter Thirty Nine, Sydney. Look at a map of Greater London a map on which the town proper shows as a dark irregularly rounded patch against the whiteness of suburban districts and just on the northern limit of the vast network of streets you will distinguish the name of crouch end another decade and the dark patch will have spread greatly further for the present crouch end is still able to remind one that it was in the country a very short time ago the streets have a smell of newness of dampness the bricks retain their complexion the stucco has not rotted more than one expects in a year or two poverty tries to hide itself with venetian blinds until the time when an advance guard of houses shall justify the existence of the slum characteristic of the locality is a certain row of one-story cottages villas the advertiser calls them built of white brick each with one bay window on the ground floor a window pretentiously fashioned and desiring to be taken for stone though obviously made of bad plaster before each house is a garden measuring six feet by three entered by a little iron gate which grinds as you push it and at no time would latch the front door also grinds on the sill it can only be opened by force and quivers in a way that shows how unsubstantially it is made as you set foot in the pinched passage the sound of your tread proves the whole fabric a thing of lath and sand the ceilings the walls confess themselves neither water-tight nor air-tight whatever you touch is at once found to be sham in the kitchen of one of these houses at two o'clock on a saturday afternoon in september three young people were sitting down to the dinner-table a girl of nearly fourteen her sister a year younger and their brother not yet eleven all were decently dressed but very poorly a glance at them and you knew that in this house there was little money to spend on superfluities the same impression was produced by the appointments of the kitchen which was disorderly too and spoke neglect of the scrubbing brush as for the table it was ill laid and worse supplied the meal was to consist of the fag end of a shoulder of mutton some villainously cooked potatoes a la anglais and bread oh i can't eat this rot again cried the boy making a dig with his fork at the scarcely clad piece of bone i shall have bread and cheese lug the cheese out annie no you won't replied the elder girl in a disagreeable voice you'll eat this or go without she had an unpleasing appearance her face was very thin her lips pinched sourly together her eyes furtive hungry malevolent her movements were awkward and impatient and a morbid nervousness kept her constantly starting with a stealthy look here or there i shall have the cheese if i like shouted the boy 
a very ill-conditioned youngster whose face seemed to have been damaged in recent conflict his clothes were dusty his hair stood up like stubble hold your row tom said the younger girl who was quiet and had a look of an invalid it's always you begins besides you can't have cheese there's only a little bit and sydney said he was going to make his dinner of it to-day of course selfish beast selfish now just listen to that amy when he said it was just that we mightn't be afraid to finish the meat amy said nothing but began to hack fragments off the bone put some aside for father first continued annie holding a plate father be blowed cried tom you just give me that first cut give it here annie or i'll crack you on the head as he struggled for the plate amy bent forward and hit his arm violently with the handle of the knife this was the signal for a general scrimmage in the midst of which tom caught up a hearth brush and flung it at amy's head the missile went wide of its mark and shivered one of the window panes there now exclaimed annie who had begun to cry in consequence of a blow from tom's fist see what father says to that if i was him said amy in a low voice of passion i'd tie you to something and beat you till you lost your senses ugly brute the warfare would not have ended here but that the door opened and he of whom they spoke made his appearance in the past two years and a half john hewitt had become a shaky old man of his grizzled hair very little remained and little of his beard his features were shrunken his neck scraggy he stooped much and there was a senile indecision in his movements he wore rough patched clothing had no collar and seemed from the state of his hands to have been engaged in very dirty work as he entered and came upon the riotous group his eyes lit up with anger in a strained voice he shouted a command of silence it's all that tom father piped annie there's no living with him john's eye fell on the broken window which of you's done that he asked sternly pointing to it no one spoke who's going to pay for it i'd like to know doesn't it cost enough to keep you but you must go make an extra expense where's the money to come from i want to know if you go on like this he turned suddenly upon the elder girl i've got something to say to you miss why wasn't you at work this morning amy avoided his look her pale face became mottled with alarm but only for an instant then she hardened herself and moved her head insolently why wasn't you at work where's your week's money i haven't got any you haven't got any why not for a while she was stubbornly silent but hewitt constrained her to confession at length on his way home to-day he had been informed by an acquaintance that amy was wandering about the streets at an hour when she ought to have been at her employment 
unable to put off the evil moment any longer the girl admitted that four days ago she was dismissed for bad behaviour and that since then she had pretended to go to work as usual the trifling sum paid to her on dismissal she had spent john turned to his youngest daughter and asked in a hollow voice where's clara she's got one of her headaches father replied the girl trembling he turned and went from the room it was long since he had lost his place of porter at the filter-works before leaving england joseph snowdon managed to dispose of his interest in the firm of lake snowdon and company and at the same time hewitt was informed that his wages would be reduced by five shillings a week the sum which had been supplied by michael snowdon's benevolence it was a serious loss clara's marriage removed one grave anxiety but the three children still had to be brought up and with every year john's chance of steady employment would grow less sidney kirkwood declared himself able and willing to help substantially but he might before long have children of his own to think of and in any case it was shameful to burden him in this way shameful or not it very soon came to pass that sidney had the whole family on his hands a bad attack of rheumatism in the succeeding winter made john incapable of earning anything at all for two months he was a cripple till then sidney and his wife had occupied lodgings in holloway when it became evident that hewitt must not hope to be able to support his children and when sidney had for many weeks paid the rent as well as supplying the money to live upon in farringdon road buildings the house at crouch end was taken and there all went to live together clara's health was very uncertain and though at first she spoke frequently of finding work to do at home the birth of a child put an end to such projects amy hewitt was shortly at the point when the education of a board-school child is said to be finished by good luck employment was found for her in kentish town with three shillings a week from the first john could not resign himself to be a mere burden on the home enforced idleness so fretted him that at times he seemed all but out of his wits in despair he caught at the strangest kinds of casual occupation when earning nothing he would barely eat enough to keep himself alive and if he succeeded in bringing home a shilling or two he turned the money about in his hands with a sort of angry joy that it would have made your heart ache to witness just at present he had a job of cleaning and whitewashing some cellars in stoke newington he was absent from the kitchen for five minutes during which time the three sat round the table amy pretended to eat unconcernedly tom made grimaces at her as for annie she cried their father entered the room again. "'Why didn't you tell us about this at once?' he asked, in a shaking voice, looking at his daughter with eyes of blank misery. "'I don't know.' "'You're a bad, selfish girl,' he broke out, again overcome with anger. "'Haven't you got neither sense nor feeling nor honesty? Just when you ought to have begun to earn a bit higher wages—' when you ought to have been glad to work your hardest to show you wasn't unthankful to them as has done so much for you 
who earned money to keep you when you was goin to school who fed and clothed you and saw as you didn't want for nothing who was it as you owe everything to just tell me that amy affected to pay no attention she kept swallowing morsels with ugly movements of her lips and jaws how often have i to tell you all that if it wasn't for sydney kirkwood you'd have been workhouse children as sure as you're livin you'd all of you have gone to the workhouse and you go on just as if you didn't owe thanks to nobody i tell you it'll be years and years before one of you'll have a penny you can call your own if it was annie or tom behaved so careless there'd be less wonder but for a girl your age i'm ashamed as you belong to me you can't even keep your tongue from being impudent to clara her as you ain't worthy to be a servant to clara's a sneak observed tom with much coolness she's always telling lies about us i'll half knock your young head off your shoulders cried his father furiously if you talk to me like that not one of you's fit to live in the same house with her father i haven't done nothing whimpered annie hurt by being thus included in his reprobation no more you have not just now but you're often enough more trouble to your sister than you need be but it's you i'm talkin to amy you dare to leave this house again till there's another place found for you if you'd any self-respect you couldn't bear to look sydney in the face suppose you hadn't such a brother to work for you what would you do eh who'd buy your food who'd pay the rent of the house you live in a noteworthy difference between children of this standing and such as pass their years of playtime in homes unshadowed by poverty for these life had no illusions of every mouthful that they ate the price was known to them the roof over their heads was there by no grace of providence but solely because such and such a sum was paid weekly in hard cash when the collector came let the payment fail and they knew perfectly well what the result would be the children of the upper world could not even by chance give a thought to the sources whence their needs are supplied speech on such a subject in their presence would be held indecent in john hewitt's position the indecency the crime would have been to keep silence and pretend that the needs of existence are ministered to as a matter of course his tone and language were pitifully those of a feeble age the emotion proved too great a strain upon his body and he had at length to sit down in a tremulous state miserable with the consciousness of failing authority he would have made but a poor figure now upon clerkenwell green even as his frame was shrunken so had the circle of his interests contracted he could no longer speak or think on the subjects which had fired him through the better part of his life if he was driven to try and utter himself on the broad questions of social wrong of the people's cause a senile stammering of incoherencies was the only result the fight had ever gone against john hewitt he was one of those who are born to be defeated his failing energies spent themselves in conflict with his own children the concerns of a miserable home were all his mind could now cope with 
come and sit down to your dinner father annie said when he became silent dinner i want no dinner i've no stomach for food when it's stolen what's sydney going to have when he comes home he said he'd do with bread and cheese to-day see we've cut some meat for you you keep that for sydney then and don't one of you dare to say anything about it cut me a bit of bread annie she did so he ate it standing by the fireplace drank a glass of water and went into the sitting-room there he sat unoccupied for nearly an hour his head at times dropping forward as if he were nearly asleep but it was only in abstraction the morning's work had wearied him excessively as such effort always did but the mental misery he was suffering made him unconscious of bodily fatigue the clinking and grinding of the gate drew his attention he stood up and saw his son-in-law returned from clerkenwell when he heard the house door grind and shake and close he called sydney sydney looked into the parlor with a smile come in here a minute i want to speak to you it was a face that told of many troubles sydney might resolutely keep a bright countenance but there was no hiding the sallowness of his cheeks and the lines drawn by ever wakeful anxiety the effect of a struggle with mean necessities is seldom anything but degradation in look and in character but sydney's temper and the conditions of his life preserved him against that danger his features worn into thinness seemed to present more distinctly than ever their points of refinement you saw that he was habitually a grave and silent man all the more attractive his aspect when as now he seemed to rest from thought and give expression to his natural kindliness in the matter of attire he was no longer as careful as he used to be the clothes he wore had done more than just service and hung about him unregarded clara upstairs he asked when he had noticed hewitt's look yes she's lying down may's been troublesome all the morning but it was something else i meant and john began to speak of amy's ill-doing he had always in some degree a sense of shame when he spoke privately with sydney always felt painfully the injustice involved in their relations at present he could not look kirkwood in the face and his tone was that of a man who abases himself to make confession of guilt sydney was gravely concerned it was his habit to deal with the children's faults good-naturedly to urge john not to take a sombre view of their thoughtlessness but the present instance could not be made light of secretly he had always expected that the girl would be a source of more serious trouble the older she grew he sat in silence leaning forward his eyes bent down it's no good whatever i say lamented hewitt they don't heed me why must i have children like these haven't i always done my best to teach them to be honest and good-hearted if i'd spent my life in the worst ways a man can they couldn't have turned out more worthless 
haven't i wished always what was right and good and true haven't i always spoke up for justice in the world haven't i done what i could sydney to be helpful to them as fell into misfortune and now in my old age i'm only a burden and the children as come after me are nothing but a misery to all as have to do with them if it wasn't for clara i feel i couldn't live my time out she's the one that pays me back for the love i've given her all the others i can't feel as they're children of mine at all it was a strange and touching thing that he seemed nowadays utterly to have forgotten clara's past invariably he spoke of her as if she had at all times been his stay and comfort the name of his son who was dead never passed his lips but of clara he could not speak too long or too tenderly i can't think what to do sidney said if i talk to her in a fault-finding way she'll only dislike me the more she feels i've no business to interfere you're too soft with them you spoil them why there's one of them broken a pane in the kitchen to-day and they know you'll take it quiet like you do everything else sidney wrinkled his brow these petty expenses ever repeated were just what made the difficulty in his budget he winced whenever such demands encroached upon the poor weekly income of which every penny was too little for the serious needs of the family feeling that if he sat and thought much longer a dark mood would seize upon him he rose hastily i shall try kindness with her don't say anything more in her hearing he went to the kitchen door and cried cheerfully my dinner ready girls annie's voice replied with a timorous affirmative all right i'll be down in a minute treading as gently as possible he ascended the stairs and entered his bedroom the blind was drawn down but sunlight shone through it and made a softened glow in the chamber in a little cot was sitting his child may rather more than a year old she had toys about her and was for the moment contented clara lay on the bed her face turned so that sidney could not see it he spoke to her and she just moved her arm but gave no reply do you wish to be left alone he asked in a subdued and troubled voice yes shall i take may downstairs if you like don't speak to me now he remained standing by the bed for a minute then turned his eyes on the child who smiled at him he could not smile in return but went quietly away it's one of her bad days whispered hewitt who met him at the foot of the stairs she can't help it poor girl no no sidney ate what was put before him without giving a thought to it when his eyes wandered round the kitchen the disorder and dirt worried him but on that subject he could not speak his hunger appeased he looked steadily at amy and said in a kindly tone father tells me you've had a stroke of bad luck amy we must have a try at another place mustn't we hello 
there's a window broken has tom been playing at cricket in the room eh the girls kept silence come and let's make out the list for our shopping this afternoon he continued i'm afraid there'll have to be something the less for that window girls what do you say we'll do without a pudding to-morrow sydney suggested annie oh come now i'm fond of pudding thus it always was if he could not direct by kindness he would never try to rule by harsh words six years ago it was not so easy for him to be gentle under provocation and he would then have made a better disciplinarian in such a home as this on amy and tom all his rare goodness was thrown away never mind shall one go over to the side of evil because one despairs of vanquishing it the budget the budget always so many things perforce cut out always such cruel pressure of things that could not be cut out in the early days of his marriage he had accustomed himself to a liberality of expenditure out of proportion to his income the little store of savings allowed him to indulge his kindness to clara and her relatives and he kept putting off to the future that strict revision of outlay which his position of course demanded the day when he had no longer a choice came all too soon with alarm he discovered that his savings had melted away the few sovereigns remaining must be sternly guarded for the hour of stern necessity how it ground on his sensibilities when he was compelled to refuse some request from clara or the girls his generous nature suffered pangs of self-contempt as often as there was talk of economy to-day for instance whilst he was worrying in thought over amy's behaviour and at the same time trying to cut down the saturday's purchases in order to pay for the broken window up comes tom with the announcement that he lost his hat this morning and had to return bareheaded another unforeseen expense and sydney was angry with himself for his impulsive anger against the boy clara never went out to make purchases seldom indeed left the house for any reason unless sydney persuaded her to walk a short distance with him after sundown when she veiled herself closely neither amy nor anne could be trusted to do all the shopping so that sydney generally accompanied one or the other of them for that purpose on saturday afternoon to-day he asked amy to go with him wishing if possible to influence her for good by kind brotherly talk whilst she was getting ready he took john aside into the parlour to impart a strange piece of news he had brought from clerkenwell mrs peckover has had a narrow escape of being poisoned she was found by one of her lodgers all but dead and last night the police arrested her daughter on the charge mrs snowdon yes the mother has accused her there's a man concerned in the affair one of the men showed me a report in to-day's paper i didn't buy one because we shall have it in the sunday paper to-morrow nice business oh that's for the old woman's money i'll wager exclaimed hewett in an awed voice i can believe it of clem 
if ever there was a downright badden was she living in the close mrs snowdon wasn't somewhere in hoxton no doubt it was for the money if the charge is true we won't speak of it before the children think of that now many's the time i've looked at clem peckover and said to myself you'll come to no good end my lady she was a fierce and badden sydney nodded and went off for his walk with amy it was a difficult thing to keep any room in the house orderly and sydney as part of his struggle against the downward tendency in all about him against the forces of chaos often did the work of housemaid in the parlour a little laxity in the rules which made this a sacred corner and there would have been no spot where he could rest with some success too he had resisted the habit prevalent in working-class homes of prolonging saturday evening's occupations until the early hours of sunday morning at a little after ten o'clock to-night john hewett and the children were in bed he too weary in mind and body would gladly have gone upstairs but he lingered from one five minutes to the next his heart sinking at the certainty that he would find clara in sleepless misery which he had no power to allay round the walls of the parlour were hung his own drawings which used to conceal the bareness of his lodging in tysoe street it was three years since he had touched a pencil the last time having been when he made holiday with michael snowdon and jane at the farmhouse by danbury hill the impulse would never come again it was associated with happiness with hope and what had his life to do with one or the other could he have effected the change without the necessity of explaining it he would gladly have put those drawings out of sight whenever as now he consciously regarded them they plucked painfully at his heart-strings and threatened to make him a coward none of that he had his work to do happiness or no happiness and by all the virtue of manhood he would not fail in it as far as success or failure was a question of his own resolve the few books he owned were placed on hanging shelves among them those which he had purchased for clara since their marriage but reading was as much a thing of the past as drawing never a moment when his mind was sufficiently at ease to refresh itself with other men's thoughts or fancies as with john hewett so with himself the circle of his interests had shrivelled until it included nothing but the cares of his family the cost of house and food and firing as a younger man he had believed that he knew what was meant by the struggle for existence in the nether world it seemed to him now as if such knowledge had been only theoretical oh it was easy to preach a high ideal of existence for the poor as long as one had a considerable margin over the week's expenses easy to rebuke the men and women who tried to forget themselves in beer shops and gin houses as long as one could take up some rational amusement with a quiet heart now on his return home from labour it was all he could do not to sink in exhaustion and defeat of spirit shillings and pence shillings and pence never a question of pounds 
unfortunately, and always too few of them. He understood how men have gone mad under pressure of household cares. He realized the horrible temptation which has made men turn dastardly from the path leading homeward and leave those there to shift for themselves. When on the point of lowering the lamp he heard someone coming downstairs. The door opened, and, to his surprise, Clara came in. Familiarity could not make him insensible to that disfigurement of her once beautiful face. His eyes always fell before her at the first moment of meeting. "'What are you doing?' she asked. "'Why don't you come up?' "'I was that minute coming.' His hand went again to the lamp, but she checked him. In a low, wailing, heartbreaking voice, and with a passionate gesture, she exclaimed, "'Oh, I feel as if I should go mad. I can't bear it much longer.' Sidney was silent at first, then said quietly, Let's sit here for a little. No wonder you feel low-spirited, lying in that room all day. I'd gladly have come and sat with you, but my company only seems to irritate you. What good can you do me? You only think I'm making you miserable without a cause. You won't say it, but that's what you always think. And when I feel that— I can't bear to have you near. If only I could die and come to the end of it. How can you tell what I suffer? Oh, yes, you speak so calmly. As good as telling me I am unreasonable because I can't do the same. I hate to hear your voice when it's like that. I'd rather you raged at me or struck me. The beauty of her form had lost nothing since the evening when he visited her in Farringdon Road buildings. Now, as then, all her movements were full of grace and natural dignity. Whenever strong feeling was active in her, she could not but manifest it in motion unlike that of ordinary women. Her hair hung in disorder, though not at its full length, massing itself upon her shoulders, shadowing her forehead half consumed by the fire that only death would extinguish she looked the taller for her slenderness ah had the face been untouched you are unjust to me sidney replied with emotion but not resentfully i can enter into all your sufferings if i speak calmly it's because i must because i daren't give way one of us must try and be strong clara or else he turned away let us leave this house she continued hardly noticing what he said let us live in some other place never any change always always the same walls to look at day and night it's driving me mad clara we can't move I daren't spend even the little money it would cost. Do you know what Amy has been doing? Yes, father told me. How can we go to the least needless expense, when every day makes living harder for us? What have we to do with them? How can you be expected to keep a whole family? It isn't fair to you or to me. You sacrifice me to them. It's nothing to you what I endure, 
so long as they are kept in comfort he stepped nearer to her what do you really mean by that is it seriously your wish that i should tell them your father and your sisters and our brother to leave the house and to support themselves as best they can pray what would become of them kept in comfort are they how much comfort does your poor father enjoy do you wish me to tell him to go out into the street as i can help him no more she moaned and made a wild gesture you know all this to be impossible you don't wish it you couldn't bear it then why will you drive me almost to despair by complaining so of what can't be helped surely you foresaw it all you knew that i was only a working man it isn't as if there had been any hope of my making a larger income and you were disappointed does it make it easier to bear because there is no hope of relief she cried for me yes if there were hope i might fret under the misery oh i had hope once it might have been so different with me the thought burns and burns and burns till i am frantic you don't help me to bear it you leave me alone when i most need help how can you know what it means to me to look back and think of what might have been you say to yourself i am selfish that i ought to be thankful someone took pity on me poor wretched creature that i am it would have been kinder never to have come near me i should have killed myself long ago and there an end you thought it was a great thing to take me when you might have had a wife who would clara clara when you speak like that i could almost believe you are really mad for heaven's sake think what you are saying suppose i were to reproach you with having consented to marry me i would rather die than let such a word pass my lips but suppose you heard me speaking to you like this she drew a deep sigh and let her hands fall sydney continued in quite another voice it's one of the hardest things i have to bear that i can't make your life pleasanter of course you need change i know it only too well you and i ought to have our holiday at this time of the year like other people i fancy i should like to go into the country myself clerkenwell isn't such a beautiful place that one can be content to go there day after day year after year without variety but we have no money suffer as we may there's no help for it because we have no money lives may be wasted worse far worse than wasted just because there is no money at this moment a whole world of men and women is in pain and sorrow because they have no money how often have we said that the world is made so everything has to be bought with money you find it easier to bear than i do yes i find it easier i am stronger bodied and at all events i have some variety whilst you have none i know it if i could take your share of the burden how gladly i'd do so if i could take your suffering upon myself you shouldn't be unhappy for another minute 
but that is another impossible thing people who are fortunate in life may ask each day what they can do we have always to remind ourselves what we can't you take pleasure in repeating such things it shows how little you feel them it shows how i have taken to heart the truth of them she waved her hand impatiently again sighed and moved towards the door don't go just yet said sydney we have more to say to each other i have nothing more to say i am miserable and you can't help me i can clara she looked at him with wondering estranged eyes how what are you going to do only speak to you that's all i have nothing to give but words but she would have left him sydney stepped forward and prevented her no you must hear what i have got to say they may be only words but if i have no power to move you with my words then our life has come to utter ruin and i don't know what dreadful things lie before us i can say the same she replied in a despairing tone but neither you nor i shall say it as long as i have strength to speak i won't consent to say that clara you must put your hand in mine and think of your life and mine as one if not for my sake then for your child's think do you wish may to suffer for the faults of her parents i wish she had never been born and yet you were the happier for her birth it's only these last six months that you have fallen again into misery you indulge it and it grows worse harder to resist you may say that life seems to grow worse perhaps so this affair of amy's has been a heavy blow and we shall miss the little money she brought goodness knows when another place will be found for her but all the more reason why we should help each other to struggle perhaps just this year or two will be our hardest time if amy and annie and tom were once all earning something the worst would be over wouldn't it and can't we find strength to hold out a little longer just to give the children a start in life just to make your father's last years a bit happier if we manage it shan't we feel glad in looking back won't it be something worth having lived for he paused but clara had no word for him there's amy she's a hard girl to manage partly because she has very bad health i always think of that or try to when she irritates me this afternoon i took her out with me and spoke as kindly as i could if she isn't better for it she surely can't be worse and in any case i don't know what else to do look clara you and i are going to do what we can for these children we're not going to give up the work now we've begun it mustn't all of us who are poor stand together and help one another we have to fight against the rich world that's always crushing us down down whether it means to or not those people enjoy their lives well 
i shall find my enjoyment in defying them to make me despair but i can't do without your help i didn't feel very cheerful as i sat here a while ago before you came down i was almost afraid to go upstairs lest the sight of what you were suffering should be too much for me am i to ask a kindness of you and be refused clara it was not the first time that she had experienced the constraining power of his words when he was moved with passionate earnestness her desire to escape was due to a fear of yielding of suffering her egoism to fail before a stronger will let me go she said whilst he held her arm i feel too ill to talk longer only one word only one promise now whilst we are the only ones awake in the house we are husband and wife clara we must be kind to each other we are not going to be like the poor creatures who let their misery degrade them we are both too proud for that what we can think and express our thoughts we can speak to each other's minds and hearts don't let us be beaten what's the good of my promising i can't keep it i suffer too much promise and keep the promise for a few weeks a few days then i'll find strength to help you once more but now it's your turn to help me to-morrow begins a new week the rich world allows us to rest to-morrow to be with each other shall we make it a quiet restful hopeful day when they go out in the morning you shall read to father and me read as you know how to so much better than i can what was that really a smile let me go sydney oh i'm tired i'm tired and the promise i'll do my best it won't last long but i'll try thank you dear no she replied despondently it's i that ought to thank you but i never shall never i only understand you now and then just for an hour and all the selfishness comes back again it'll be the same till i'm dead he put out the lamp and followed her upstairs his limbs ached he could scarcely drag one leg after another never mind the battle was gained once more end of chapter thirty nine